So good morning. We're going to kick off uh, the rest, uh, not the rest, but a few more weeks, another section of our foundations course, building blocks course, whatever you want to call it. And today we're going to do communion. And this is quite, um, it's quite a big subject, like them all. So again, whatever uh, we say this morning is meant to stoke the fire, is meant to open up conversation, is meant to help you maybe think slightly different than you have, or confirm what you're thinking, or challenge. That's the purpose of a Sunday morning. A Sunday morning is not to tell you, this is how it is, this is what the Bible says, you go out. It's for us to open and engage in conversation as community, around the table, afterwards, and through the week. We all agree on that. And now I'll start my timer, okay? It's all right. If it gets my face here. Yeah, no, still too loud. Turn her, turn her right down. Good lad. I know how stressful it is, because I do it as well. And you start sweating whenever you see them looking at you at the front. So communion. Uh, for me, communion has been a part of most of my life. Uh, I was a pastor's son of a Baptist church, and so it had to be a part of my life. And uh, for me, it was a tradition, it was a ritual. And if I'm being really honest, when I was growing up, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the reason why all these adults gathered together after the main service that we weren't really a part of to eat bread and drink grape juice that was representing wine and the blood of Jesus. It, it wasn't really in my heart and it felt unaccessible to me. Does anybody else feel like that when they were growing up with communion? It felt unaccessible to me. Um, it was, and this is, my heart felt like this, stay away you sinner, you cannot have this yet. That's honestly how I felt when communion happened. Uh, but now, now at my ripe old age of 38, I know I don't look it, it empowers me in my relationship with Jesus. I have a new hunger for it because I'm starting to try to understand it for myself. And I want other people to understand the heart of it as well. And so for me, it's an intentional choice that I'm learning to understand the purpose of it and the power that it brings to my life when it's a part of it. And so I want to ask you this morning as we start, think about it yourself. How do you view the table? Communion, Eucharist. What has it been known to you as? What tradition was it for you? Was it at a certain age you got to do it? Was it when you made a certain choice to follow Jesus that you got access to it? When you behaved in a certain way, did you then get access to it? Was it simply an exercise or a symbol for you? And so we're all in this room. There are so many different traditions, different cultures, different backgrounds, which I think is brilliant. May I just add, look at the back to the sound and, or to the, the, the desk. What other church has a five-year-old running the, the, the screen? It's brilliant. We are a diverse church with lots of different people, and we love to give everyone opportunities. And that's where I see the table as well. It's open for all. And I'll explain a little more about that later. For me, again, I said I was brought up in Baptist. It was every week. It was a separate thing to the other service. And it was really only for adults that got to go to this other special service. But I was happy enough because my dad preached and then he preached again at the table. So I was like, I don't, I, I don't feel I'm ready to do it yet, Daddy. Okay, son, yes, no more preaching today for me. That's honestly the way I felt about it growing up. But whenever we look at the heart of God with communion, I believe it is simply a tool. 
And it is a tool to help us to remember back, but also pointing forward. And we're going to look at that a little bit more today. It is a symbol. So the scripture we're going to use to guide us this morning is found in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 29. And uh, uh, if you have it up on the screen there, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. And it says this, I have handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. He did the same with the cup of wine after the supper and said, This cup seals a new covenant with my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. And so the first thing that the table, I believe, does with the bread and the wine is it feeds us spiritually. It feeds and equips us and empowers us so that our circumstances that we are facing today and this week will not beat us, will not overcome us. He told David in Psalm 23, I prepare a feast in the midst of your enemy. Everything you need is at this table. If you come, if you stop, if you sit, if you rest, you can find your strength, your resilience, and your perseverance in this. Isn't that amazing that this simple bread and juice can do this? So the more we talk, you'll realize it's not actually about the bread and the juice. It's about the symbolism of what it does. Feast around the table, you will find strength. And 1 Corinthians 11 says, Eat until you're satisfied. Do not rush away. There is no limit on the time. It is taken, firstly, from a place of rest. And let me give you an illustration of what sums up the table for me. Can anybody, does anybody know how much, I have too much coffee, look at that. Like three cups today. Does anybody know how much this weighs? Anybody know how much this weighs? 200 grams, oh, very efficient there. <laughs> Not very much, but what if I held this for 12 hours, like this? What if I held it for three days? Be even worse, like, look. It's going to evaporate. Come on now, Santa, it's going to evaporate. If I held it like this. The weight of this cup doesn't matter. The weight of what's in it does not matter. How long I have to hold it and carry it does. And the longer I have to carry this, the more of a burden it becomes, the heavier it becomes, the more annoying it becomes, unless it evaporates. Should have picked something else for the smart people in the room. But when I come to the table, when I come to stop, and we're going to talk about what these symbols mean, I get to do this. So if you forget nothing else today, This is what the table means. You get to come as you are, all the baggage, all the stuff that you carry, and you get to put it on the table, you get to rest, and you get to spend time with the Father. We're not told much about how to take the table. We are told when we do it is to remember back to remember what he's done for you as often as you do it. So there's no, you have to do it this, you have to do it that, you can't do it here, you can't do it there. It's as often as we do it. And for me, it becomes actually more like prayer. It's a staple diet. It's a staple in my diet as I walk with Jesus. For me, I do it in the car. I do it at home around the dinner table. We do it together on a Sunday morning. 
It becomes something that I, that I go to to recharge and to refocus. And so when you're surrounded, you need to bring it to the table. Feasting is fighting. So where are you taking things when it happens to you? What table are you taking it to? Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's an addiction. We all go somewhere in those times when we need to offload and we need to stop. And I want to suggest this morning that for us as Christians, this is the place we go. We should really have the bread and wine sitting there. That's the place we go. Because we need to get the kingdom in our hearts. We need to live and speak and act differently to the world dictates and the speed that it wants us to live our lives. And so it's so, it's so easy for us to engage in the world in a wrong way, like I said, on the internet and Facebook. But I want to ask you, what side of the table are you sitting at this morning? What voices are you listening to? Because part of the beautiful thing is we come to the table, we stop long enough to hear the voice of the one that matters. And I believe life is lived around the table. We start with the Lord's table, with the family around the table, with our church family around the table, with the community around the table, and we start to hear other voices that input and call us to more. So why communion? Can you imagine I walk into uh, Sarah in her bedroom? She's screaming at night, and uh, I just say at the door, there, there, daddy's here. Do you think that would do much? No. What I need to do, thankfully I haven't had to do this in a way. What I need to do, I need to go in and I need to put my hand on her head and I need to embrace her and I need to say, it's okay, daddy's here. C.S. Lewis wrote about this story and he was talking about a child and the mother said to it, it's okay, I'm here. And the response of the child was this, I know that God is here. Sorry, God is here. I know that God is here, but I need someone with skin right now. And so this is what the table is. It's engaging of our senses to start to know the presence of God as we taste and we think back, as we drink the wine and we think forward to what has been accomplished at the cross. Ronald Rollheiser said this, We are creatures of senses, touch, sight, hearing, and smell, and taste. We are humans, and we need a God who has some skin, who can be located, and uh, who can somehow be physically touched. And I want to suggest that this is what the table does. I've had moments when I'm driving along and praying where I actually feel like I've felt the embrace of God. I, I can't explain it. I don't know how to. And Ronald Rollheiser again puts this into words for me. There is no adequate explanation of communion for the same reason that in the end there is no adequate explanation for love. Certain realities take us beyond language, be, uh, beyond their very purpose. So I want to ask you this morning as we come to take the bread and the wine afterwards that you allow yourself to go beyond that this is just a random bread baked up the road and poured it down and grape juice Welsh's grape juice produced in USA. Lovely for you, Jesse, this morning. It's beyond that. Because when we come to sit at this table, we open our hearts up to say, God, I need to encounter you this morning. I want to hear from you today, and I want to be refilled and re-energized for what you've called me to.
And for me and for you, it's not about transactions, how many times I do this, but it is relational. It is a time to be present with Jesus because he is present with you. It's a time for our hearts to be opened and stretched. And it starts with the bread, the body, our daily bread. And in the bread, we don't just receive the body of Christ, but we receive who we are because we are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet. And so when we take the bread, it is proclaiming a loud shout, a prophetic declaration of what the past has accomplished. So when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us access into the Holy of Holies to him, into that conversation to let heaven invade earth through you and me. And every time we take the bread, it is a proclamation of the past. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you for what you have accomplished. And thank you for what that means in my life right now. As I take the bread, that's what it means to me. It might mean something different to you. But I'm the one with the microphone, so that's what it means to me. And so there's two keys to the bread. Taking the bread is a moment to remember. So when you take it, you stop, you pause, you look back, you remember. The focus is off me and the focus is on him. And the second one is this, thankfulness. Thankfulness is one of the keys of communion. As I take the bread, this is what I do. Thankfulness carries breakthrough. Let me explain it a little bit more. George MacDonald said, who we, are uh, we who are born again indeed must wake our souls on number times a day and urge ourselves to live with a holy greed. This is precisely what King David does in Psalm 109. Praise the Lord, O my soul, he says, commanding his own lugging soul to wake up and worship. And this is an act of the will. Instead of waiting to worship and be thankful until I feel like it, I begin to thank God for the evidence of him in my life, often speaking out loud until my feelings fall in line with the facts. How often do we sit low, woe is me, instead of actually, when we come to the table, yes, there's lots of stuff happening. We all have things happening in life. We all have burdens. We all have bad days. We are all in that together. But actually, what if when we come to the table, we intentionally start to say, God, thank you. Start to think of all the things that we can be thankful for. And as we start to be thankful, something starts to change in our perspective. And when we look at other people, we start to change how we feel about them. It might even start to change how we feel about our circumstances. Like Tiffany said a couple of weeks, or last week, often when she prays, her circumstances don't change, but her heart changes. As we take the bread and we start to be thankful, our circumstances may not change. King David was still in the presence of his enemies, but his heart changed. And so can ours. And so as we go on uh, in, the, in 1 Corinthians 11 that we were looking at, Paul tells us how to correctly come to the table. Paul says this is a direct revelation. Jesus is getting people around the table to actively feed. Remember, who was at the table? Anybody? Who was at the table that you wouldn't think would be there? Judas. The table is open for all. He's inviting us to do the same. And the table can provide our every need, but we must bring our every need to it. And so on to the wine quickly. The wine in communion is his blood, his promise. And as the bread is a proclamation of the past, the blood is a proclamation of the future and the present. Because of what his blood accomplished on the cross, because of his blood that was shed as a sacrifice for us, our future is different. 
We are different. The power of Jesus flows through our very veins. And I don't know about you, but I need to tap more into the Holy Spirit and what it brings. This is the moment as we take communion, we stop and say, Holy Spirit, fill me afresh. Open my heart. Open my eyes. Thank you for what's in my life now and what is ahead in the future. And we declare because of his blood over situations, it's a prophetic declaration because our hope is rooted in him. And each time we proclaim our death, we remind, his death, we remind ourselves of the benefit of it and we realign our heart with the promises of heaven. Too often we're looking for other things and other people for our hope and for the input into our lives when it is in him. It's a prophetic act that introduces heaven to my situations. And it's a physical, tangible act. When I take the little small cup that you're going to get, for me in my head, I go from a posture like this of thankfulness, thank you, Jesus, you're amazing, to one where, I know we've heard this before, but it's important, where my shoulders are raised up, where my head is held high, and I start to declare over the things in my life that I need God to move. God, will you act? Will you move? I want to contend over disease, over health, over provision, over marriages, over relationships, over my children. And it's a time of celebration as I take this cup. It aligns our hearts with his for the welfare of those around us. J. John says this, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is there in communion. And it's an anointing that God breaks the yoke of the enemy. It brings freedom, healing, and restoration. An anointing that empowers us for service. An anointing that releases joy. It leads us into the knowledge of the truth. And it brings an anointing of God that enables our lives to overflow with the goodness and mercy of God. Did you think there was so much in bread and grape juice? So it's time to be bold and to declare what you want to see. It's time to be bold and believe that what he says over you is true. The table is a place of blessing. Andrew Murray says this, that the greatest thing that any of us can possess is the blessing of the Heavenly Father, and his blessing is found at the table. Ronald Rollheiser again says that communion is meant to be simply a family meal. A community celebration. A place like our kitchen tables and living rooms where we come together to be with each other. To console and to cry with each other when life is full of heartaches. And to be together simply for the sake of being together. But families that sustain community also gather regularly, ideally daily, irrespective of weather. There are special occasions and family are for every day just as they are for these special occasions, and so is communion. And so some days when, I'm talking personally, when I take the bread and the wine, it's like a celebration. It's a really special event. Do you know the four cups that we do coming up to Easter? We all come together and, and we specifically stop to celebrate together. There are times when, as a family, it will be like a big celebration and it will be really, really, really special because Neil's got a really good preach to go along with it. And then there's other times, it'll be like a wedding, where we get all dolled up and we're even bigger. 
But others, it may be a time where we just need anchored in the middle of a storm. Other times it may be, God, I'm taking this because I need to hear from you today because I can't go on. Sometimes it might be a quick sip of the first liquid that you can find and a random cracker, like in lockdown. But you know that those symbols mean something a lot more inside. It's not just about the bread and the wine. It's the symbol of the power that they carry and the one who they remind us of and the one who they are pointing to. He died for everyone and his blood was shed for all. So as we take this communion, we do it together. Everyone is welcome at the table. In verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says this in the commentary. For this reason, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and the blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. And so when I used to read that as a young man, I would have thought, oh no, when I take this, this bread and this wine, I'm going to be struck with a bolt of lightning from heaven because of, you know, coming and I haven't got my heart right. Anybody else ever feel like that? I'm just being honest this morning. Guess what? There's context and place and people to this verse. Isn't that good to hear? We shouldn't just read this of woe is me if I, there is context to this. It was written to a people and to a place. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a posture we need to come to this table. There's a difference of opinion here, and I'll, I'll, I'll chat about that quickly. But what I found is the mature people will come to the table and overlook offense and faults in order to maintain unity within the family. But the immature will cause splits, divisions, and cliques around their opinions. Hear that again. The mature will overlook to preserve unity in the family. The immature will focus on their doctrine, their ideology, and cause splits. And so Paul is saying, in light of what I've just shared with you as revelation about the table and its purpose, you need to put aside your petty differences and guard your heart for one another. Have each other's backs. And so it's not a matter of if you come to this and you haven't forgave your brother, you're going to die or something awful is going to happen to you. The context of this is it's not good for you to come to this place harboring that against your brother. It's not good to come with bitterness. It's not good to come when you're fighting with someone. But still, if you do come, I am going to draw close to you. But for your sake, for your good, as a good parent, I am telling you, stop fighting. Stop arguing over pettiness. Love one another for the sake of unity and the bride. And so at the start of the passage, it tells us a little bit about this problem. Verse 17, now this next matter I wish to commend you, but I cannot because you meet together as a church family. When you meet together as a church family, it is doing more harm than good. 
I've been told many times that when you meet as a congregation, divisions and cliques emerge. To some extent, this doesn't surprise me. Dear glasses. Differences of opinion are unavoidable, yet they will reveal which one among you truly have God's approval. I don't like that finish, but this is another, another translation says that people will recognize God in you. So when you fight, when you sow disunity, when you have your cliques, people aren't going to recognize the Savior in you. But when you put that aside to come to the table in unity, something beautiful happens as people recognize the living Jesus in you. I want to ask you this question as I'm finishing up this morning. Would a good father stop me from eating at his table? All the doctrine aside that, we, that we, we're trying to understand would a good, loving father stop me from eating at his table? Would he stop me from having revelation at the table? Would he stop me from encountering him at the table? Can I suggest this morning that we approach it not out of fear, but out of intimacy? Communion is a personal, but also a collective time of intimacy for a bride with the groom. And so I believe that the verses that we were reading, as we read them in context, the Corinthians were taking the table in an unworthy manner that sowed division. But the table stamps out this division. Andrew Murray says this, a God who says sinners cannot eat at his table is not the God revealed by Jesus Christ, who specifically went out of his way to eat with sinners. It's true, examine yourself before you come. Maybe you won't like what you see, but don't let it stop you. Now come, your forgiveness is found at the table. If you examine yourself and find sin, it doesn't mean your invitation is no longer valid. No, your sin is the very reason why you need to come to the table in the first place. This is the scandalous invitation of Jesus. Come liars, come cheats, come adulterers, come those battling lust, come criminals, drunks, addicts, come thieves, haters, liars, gossips, come one and all to eat and drink at the table. Please give me an amen. That's the Jesus that I serve. Now, if you're going mad with lots of questions, point them to me after. I'm setting up the grenade. And so there was division, and this table confronted it. The table is a leveler because we are all sitting and we are sitting around one person that is Jesus and we are made equal and one with one love. And so the meal, or the, this meal disarms and levels the playing field. Jesus, Jesus at the center. In John's account of the Last Supper in chapter 13, he doesn't even talk about communion. Anybody know what he talks about? He chooses to focus on the act of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so we are here to serve one another. So at the table, we arrive low in a place of hum a humble place of servitude. And as we take the bread from the place of thankfulness, we start to look up. We arrive low and we leave high. 
that'd be a good slogan for some company, wouldn't it? We arrive low and leave high. But I can honestly say that as I practice this personally, something always happens when I stop, whether it's for two minutes, for five, for ten, whatever it is, as I stop to just center myself on the bread and what it means, center myself on the wine and what it means, something happens in my heart. Something happens in my mind. Our priorities may have changed, but Jesus hasn't. He is still longing and desires more than anything to have communion with us as his church. He still invites us to the table. He is still kicking gently at the door. He's not going to bash it down, but he's knocking and saying, I'm here. I want to remind you of my promises. I want to remind you of who you are. I want you to know I have your back. I want you to know I'm here for you. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal together with you as my friend. Revelation 3.20. I call you in the Hebrew says, I have invited you. Brilliant timing. My timer's done and I'm done. I have invited you to my dinner table. That's what I call you means. I have invited you to my dinner table. Take up the offer. He is waiting for communion. Uh, could someone go get the communion? Because we're going to do it now quickly. Actually, I said as quick as, as long as you want. Take as long as you want. Let me leave you with this thought from Andrew Murray again. Um, he writes a great book. It's not the um, famous Andrew Murray. It's another Andrew Murray who writes a book on the table that's absolutely brilliant. I'll put it up in the WhatsApp group. But he says this. Um, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is wherever Jesus is, and Jesus is always at the table. He is the master of the banquet. He is the one who offers the bread and wine, and he is inviting us to commune with him. We're going to do that now. Do you want me to go over everything again so you know what we're doing? Who's, who's behind me here? Jude? Nick? No, Nicholas not on today. Jenna? Puma. Take this in whatever way you want. It's not meant to be a solemn act either. For me, there are times where I have it and believe it or not, I'm quiet and reserved. But there are other times when I take it and something happens in my heart and I feel like leaping for joy. Wherever you are at personally this morning, you take communion in your personal way as we are here collectively. And let's continue this discussion this week as we continue to build solid foundations on Jesus Christ crucified as number one. It's all everything else is built upon that. But we're here to build strong. We'll start with the bread. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these emblems and I, I thank you that you knew that we needed a God with skin at some point. Yes, we have faith, but sometimes we need something tangible that we can hold in our hand, that we can smell, that we can taste. And Father, we respond to Revelation 3.20 this morning. We hear you knocking, we hear your voice, and we say, we want you to come in.
We want to share this meal with you. And I ask for encounter this morning, Lord, as we do that. Amen.